Okay, we're going to read God's Word now. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you'd like to look it up or it'll be on the screen to follow along with, we're going to read the first 15 verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis chapter 3. It hits us, doesn't it? Uh, like a bit of a sledgehammer, really, after last week. Uh, I was wondering, how many of you have been reading your Bible app? Who's been doing Read Scripture app? No, Ben, Michelle, me. Keep reading your Bible, guys. Part of this is what we encourage you is, uh, as we're doing this Bible overview, is to encourage you to get into the Bible as well. So we've been encouraging you to take the Bible app and read through it. I just want, you may not be using the Bible app, but can I encourage you to get into God's Word? Uh, because as you're going to see today, it's when God's Word is tweaked, changed or doubted that the world goes wrong. And so do we. So let me encourage you with that. I've been doing read scripture. I got stuck in Deuteronomy and spent a lot of time there. So I've jumped into the New Testament. Then I'm going to go back again. Uh, it's a great app. I'm really enjoying working through the app. Uh, the little video clips through all of it is excellent. 
Uh, they are really great at being able to pull it all together for you and give you a great overview and insight into the scriptures. The Bible app, uh, get into it, it's great. Uh, because the Bible's where it's at, and that's where we're at today as we're doing uh, part of our series in the Bible in 10. We're doing the big overview, we're doing the big sketch across the lot, you know, touch in at 10 specific spots. And uh, as we said last week, the best place to start is at the beginning. And if we understand Genesis 1 to 3, then we get where the rest of the story is going. Because this Bible in 10 is telling us the true story of God, the world and us. And as we understand that, then we understand how to live in the world that's around us. How about I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good it is uh, to spend some time in your word. How good it is to spend some time uh, thinking through uh, your story and how your story and our story uh, connect and Lord, how you're working out your story, the true story of this world uh, and us, Lord. Uh, Father, we pray this morning as we spend time looking at uh, Genesis 3, uh, as we think about uh, how that impact packs uh, then and now, Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts to you and uh, the love that you have for us, Lord, even uh, in the brokenness and rebelliousness that happens in chapter 3 and happens in the hearts of all of us. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shame. Uh, has there ever been that point uh, you've done something and you felt, oh no, uh, the shame of what you have done? Uh, a year or so ago, Hamish uh, got married to Sarah. Uh, my son got married to Sarah. And it happened the week around about the same time of my dad's birthday. So there was lots going on at that point in time and uh, we travelled down to Wollongong on the, the Saturday, which was my dad's birthday. Uh, we got down there, we got down there and uh, long trip, made it. Uh, the Sunday we got organised and on the Monday we had Hamish's Bucks Day. Now what you've noticed is a strange phenomenon. We don't do Bucks Nights anymore. They're Bucks Days or Bucks Weekends or what do they do for the girls' side? They're not just a night anymore, they're a whole weekend. Anyway, we had a Bucks Day. It was a great day, fantastic day. It was really good fun. And about one o'clock, I get a text from Karina and she says, it was your dad's birthday two days ago. Oh, no! I thought, man, here we are. I haven't rung Dad. It's two days. It's his birthday. Uh, I live away from my, uh, my uh, blood family. And so the times that you're supposed to remember are those times. Uh, because you're not in contact regularly, you're supposed to remember birthdays. Well, I felt like I did not want to make that phone call. Uh, and I knew that in two days' time, they were going to be at the wedding anyway. They're going to be up here. I'm going to have to face them. And I wanted to hide. Uh, it does that to you, doesn't it? Shame makes you want to hide. I didn't want to make the phone call. I did. And we did see them. And I still think I'm in the inheritance somewhere along the line. Uh, but uh, it, it's a horrible feeling, is it? That shame. When we feel that shame, we, that we, we experience that, don't we? We want to hide. We want to pull back, we want to not expose, we don't want to let things out, we want to get back from that. So where did that shame come from? How come we have that? Uh, if you remember last week we showed Breen Brown, 
Uh, I don't know whether you watched her uh, clips during the week from YouTube, from her TEDx talks. Can I encourage you to do them? Uh, her first one is about shame and vulnerability, and then her second one after that is really good too. Really worth uh, watching. 20-minute clips, but enlightening. I don't know whether Breen is particularly a Christian, but what she's speaking about resonates so clearly with Genesis 3 and the story of God. Uh, she said this, didn't he? Shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. It's the fear that we're not worthy. It's the fear that we haven't just done wrong, but that we are wrong. And it shapes us, doesn't it? Uh, it impacts us. It impacts how we relate to each other. It impacts how we relate, uh, how we do work, what we do, all those sort of things. It impacts just about everything that we do where we want to sometimes just hide. And we don't want to be open. And we don't want to be vulnerable because we're going to get hurt. So where did that come from? How did that enter into this world? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at uh, how that has come about and why it is the case. And Genesis 3 is the answer for us. Uh, if you can remember last week, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, uh, it says the four words. They were in the garden and they felt no shame. They were actually nude, naked, and they felt no shame. But where did shame come? Well, Genesis chapter 3, it happens very quickly, doesn't it? Uh, we're in this part of the Bible, as I said, we're doing the big overview, we're in chapter 3. Remember, there's how many books in the Bible? 66. Uh, and Genesis chapter 3, the very first three chapters set the scene for the rest of the lot. From here we work the story. It's one big story, remember that? They're not just individual. There are individual books, but they tell one big story right through to Revelation, and that story continues. And so we're going to be looking at that today, aren't we? are going to see what happens. Uh, last week it was all good. Actually, it was very good when God created us. And they felt no shame. Well, that changes in the very first part of chapter 3, didn't it? Ser immediately we hear of this uh, serpent, uh, often being depicted as a snake, and he is crafty, isn't he? Uh, look at what he says there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, it's interesting that the word crafty, because the word crafty uh, in the original, in Hebrew, is, uh, is a variant on the word naked or nude. Uh, so it's interesting, isn't it, that the being naked back in Genesis chapter 2, and then suddenly we've got someone who's going to tamper with that in the very first, and that's the serpent. So it's actually naked and crafty, are very similar in their origins of where they come from. And actually, it's probably more like uh, they were nude and shrewd. See how the contrast is happening already in what's happening. It's going to change. How things are going to go from being shameless to shameful, from being naked and open and vulnerable to the opposite of that. So, what happens? Uh, the serpent comes in, doesn't he? The serpent comes in and uh, he is very crafty. Uh, and the serpent who is crafty loves to play on vulnerability. 
It's interesting if you had been in the discussions during the week in our studies, uh, vulnerability is seen often in this world as weak, isn't it? Uh, if you're vulnerable, then you're weak. But if you listen to Breen Brown, she's actually, if you're vulnerable, then you've got courage. But vulnerability and weakness is because of the serpent, because of the crafty one who came in and wanted to trick, didn't he? He wanted to use that and deceive and change that. And he came in and he did that with Adam and Eve. I saw this sign this week. Adam and Eve, the first people to not read the Apple terms and conditions. Uh, now, we're not sure whether it was an apple, but it was a fruit. Uh, it's symbolic of who God is and all that God is. Uh, good, right and wrong. And they decided to not listen, didn't they? Uh, what do they do? What does the serpent do? It's interesting, isn't it? He says, did he really say? Uh, what's he trying to do here? It's like the question, isn't it, that he wants you to question whether that was true or not. You know those questions, you know, do you really want to move to that town? Do you really want to buy that new brand spanking car? It's a, it's a question, isn't it, but not really a, do you have a choice in this, but you'd be stupid if you did take that, wouldn't it? Don't do it. Uh, what does the serpent do? Well, he throws doubt, doesn't he? He throws doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve of two things. He throws doubt in their mind about whether God's word is true and whether God is good. Is God's word true and is God good? Uh, didn't he? he said to them, did, did God really say he must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's just throwing it in there, isn't he? He's saying, you know, you know, did, he, did he really say that? Is that what he really was on about? Do you think he's really going on about this? Uh, Eve tries to justify it. She says, well, she, he said we could eat of all these, but not this one. He's trying to confuse him, isn't he? Because God actually commanded, he said, you are free to eat from any of the tree of the garden. This is all yours here. But just this one here is mine. This is the tree of good and evil, of the decisions to make right and wrong, to control everything. This is God's tree because this is who God is. So that's not yours. That's not for you. You can have all this. God's good, isn't he? You've got all this over here, but this one over here. No, this one's, this one's mine. Uh, you're free. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. You're saying, isn't it? But you must not eat from the tree, from my tree. This is mine. Uh, he, he, he's interesting, isn't he? He's, they're just wanting, you know, did God really say that? Did really God want you not to have that? You know, you won't, you won't, it's not going to happen to you. It's, it's How often do we do that, don't we? true story of God, the world and us is God's story and the opposite to that is a lie. It's a lie to doubt God's word is true and to doubt God is good. So often that hits us, doesn't it? So often we do the same things. So often we think through, well, 
Did God really say not to get involved in that? Did God really say this isn't the way that I should live? Did God really... Did God... God's a, he's a killjoy. He wants to take away my pleasure. He wants to take what's away from me. He doesn't want me to experience all this good stuff that's out there. He wants to hold me in and box me in and not allow me to be free. He, that's a serpent, isn't it? To doubt God's word is true and to doubt God is good. And when we doubt God is good, then it does a circle because we doubt God tells the truth. It runs round, doesn't it, in our heads. And it ran round in the heads of Adam and Eve too. And so what happens? He doubts and well, you'll certainly won't die either, the serpent said. That's not going to happen to you, is it? That's not the way it's going to be. It's not going to happen to you. Doubting God's word, doubting God's generosity and goodness. He goes, doesn't he? You certainly will die. He will certainly not die. It's a contrast, isn't he? He's trying to confuse them all the time. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. How often do we do that? We look at it and we think it's good. We doubt that God's good. He, why wouldn't he let us have looks so good to have but the consequences are death it's a challenge for us isn't it to think about when we're going through life and the decisions that we make check it because the lie is God's not good and generous and the lie is that God's word is not true I don't know whether you've thought before, but you see, this is all wrapped up in the whole sense of what sin is. I think sometimes we think that sin is just breaking laws, isn't it? You know, breaking the Ten Commandments. Just break this law, break that law. In, in one sense, it's almost uh, not personal. It's just all these things out here. Sometimes I think it's a bit like when you go to a parking fine, you know. You get the parking fine, you stay there, you're on the parking meter, you pay it, you stay there for too long, and then you get a fine for it. You think, oh, well, no one's going to get upset about that. Just pay the fine. It's going to be okay. But you see, this is actually breaking relationship. You see, what happens here when we doubt God's word is true, we doubt God is good, that what Satan the serpent is trying to do is he's trying to destroy the relationship between God and us. Between God and Adam and Eve. And between us and each other. And between us and the world. You see, it's deeply personal sin. It's not just breaking rules. It's breaking a relationship. It's deeply personal to God. It's like breaking his heart. He feels it. It's painful. It hurts. Because he's created us to be in a good relationship with him, each other and the world and sin comes in and breaks that. And if you look at the consequences of sin in this world, it's all that, isn't it? Did he really say? And so what happens? What happens when, that hap when they, they take the fruit, they eat it, and what do they immediately do? They feel shame. 
they can't be vulnerable to each other anymore. They don't, can't be naked. They can't be nude. What's, so they sew fig leaves. They, they, they try to hide. And not only do they hide from each other, what do they do next? Then they hide from God, don't they? The next thing they do is they put these on and then they hear God's walking through the garden and they take off and hide. It's the first example of hide and seek, isn't it? Where are you, he says. Where are you? And they're hiding. But you know, the good news is that God doesn't run away from runaways. God doesn't turn his back and just run away from them. He goes towards them. He moves towards them. Have you played hide and seek? It's a fun game, isn't it? You hide, you try and find people. In one sense, this is the first game of hide and seek we ever see or hear of. But it's a sad game of hide and seek, isn't it? Because they're ashamed. They're not naked anymore. They've broken relationship between each other and now they're going to have a broken relationship with their creator, their good creator. The serpent's job, wasn't it? That's what he wanted. And that's what we see in the world around us today. That's what we see in our relationships today. But the interesting thing is God does step in and God does bring that about and we feel that shame and we feel that brokenness. We know that we want to go back to the good, don't we? We want to be back to that garden. We want to be back in Genesis 2. We want to be in that place where we're open and honest and vulnerable and able to be able to be in relationship with each other in a sense all together. But we feel that shame. We feel that brokenness. We want to hide. We get behind closed doors. We hide ourselves back. We don't want to be out there because we don't want to be hurt because we know that it's going to be painful but yet the hard thing is and the phenomenal thing is that actually that makes us even more broken because openness and vulnerability is where we want to be that's what we want but because we know we're going to get hurt we hide but that's not where God wants us to be how can we get out of this cycle what is going to break us free from this cycle what is going to get us out from that who or what is going to deal with our shame and our brokenness and the sin that causes us to doubt God's goodness, doubt God's word as truth and make us want to hide? Well, that's the rest of the story, isn't it? That's where it wants to lead us. That's where Genesis 3 says, I want to lead you to that. That's what the rest of the Bible is all about. It wants to lead us to the person and the place where that's going to be dealt with. He wants to lead us to the story of Jesus. He wants to take us there. And we get even a little bit of a hint of that at the end, don't we? Uh, and we hear that there's going to be someone there in verse 15. There's going, to be off, there's going to be enmity between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's a picture in verse 15 of something that's going to change all this. The good creation has been replaced by curse and brokenness and relationship breakdown, but somewhere in there there's going to be someone that's going to come in and the offspring of Adam and Eve, somewhere down the track, is going to bring about the reversal of the curse. And 
And that's where the New Testament comes in, doesn't it? That's where we hear that this Jesus is the one that's going to do that. And we get a hint of that. So if you understand this story of what God's going to be working on, we're going to be touching in through the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, the whole the Old Testament saying, we're doomed, we're done for, everything is broken. And God hasn't spoken into it. The end of the Old Testament is like, we just need someone or something to deal with this. And I don't know about you, but I feel that even today. Someone to step in and deal with this. Well, we get the hint, don't we, in the very early chapters of Matthew, when Jesus is taken into the desert and the serpent returns. And what does the serpent do? The exact same things he did to Adam and Eve. He tempts, did God really? Will you be able to? Will God be good enough to save you? Will he tempts them exactly the same way. He tempts, is God's word truth? Is God good? Will God save you? And if you had the story of Genesis 3 in your background, if you're reading it from the first New Testament readers and you would have known about that, you'd be thinking, is this person going to do what Adam and Eve did? And say, maybe the serpent is true. Is he going to do that? What does Jesus say? Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What a difference it would have been if Adam and Eve had done that. But that's not the story, is it? But that's the story of Jesus, isn't he? He says, Away from me, Satan. Because God is good. Because God's word is truth. And we worship him and him alone. He's the only one worthy of it. He's the one to stand with. And that's what Jesus does, doesn't he? He stands there and he goes and he does that and he stops that. And then we hear that in the next couple of verses in chapter 5, Jesus talks about blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed in chapter 5, doesn't it? It's this picture back of Genesis 2, isn't it? God blessed everything. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Jesus is saying, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is it. We're getting this picture that this Jesus is the person that's going to be the crusher of Satan. He's going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush his head. This offspring that's going to bring about this transformation, we see it's happening here in Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 15 gives us a glimpse of what will happen and the rest of the story of the Bible takes us to the one that does it in Jesus himself uh, it's interesting isn't it that in, uh, immediately when they feel shame they make things out of fig leaves to cover them up for their nakedness and when, Jesus, when God steps in and sees them then he clothes them with animal skins and for him to do that, there had to be a sacrifice in there. It was costly. An animal had to die. A sacrifice had to be made. It was costly. When we get to Jesus, it's even more costly, isn't it? The sacrifice that happens for Jesus is that he is naked. He is displayed to all to see. 
it looks to be shameful, doesn't it, on the cross. Looks that he's been opened up, nude. And he goes to the cross to deal with our shame, to deal with our sin, so that we can be shameless, so that we can be vulnerable, so that our relationship with God can be restored, our relationships to each other can be restored, our relationships to this world can be restored. Uh, in our studies, if you've been looking at them, then uh, it's been talking about another book. Uh, we like to talk about books that you can read. This is another book uh, that's been written. Uh, it's called The Soul of Shame. Uh, and he's saying in this book that he talks a lot about what we've just spoken about, but then he talks about one thing that humans do that no one else does or doesn't seem to be anything else that humans do to help them grasp hold of all this and to grasp hold of life and grasp hold of who we are and where we are and to deal with this brokenness that we're in. Uh, he says, as humans we develop, uh, we begin to do what our knowledge no other animal does, we tell stories. It's interesting, isn't it? We tell stories. And we tell stories about our lives, we tell stories about what's happened to us and as we tell those stories, it's, it's interesting because in those stories we have hurt and we have pain and we have hiding. And in those stories we find out that that's what's going on for us. That brokenness, that pain impacts us and as we share those stories with each other then we know that we can actually express that with each other. It's interesting for us to think about what's your story? The story that's been going on for you. It's not only interesting about what your story is, but it's interesting to think about what story you're telling yourself as well. Because what this story that we're seeing with God's story for us, of the world, the true story of the world, of him and us, is that lies want to deceive us, don't they? And we can even start telling stories of our lives that get impacted by those lies. <coughs> And we start telling ourselves that we aren't good enough, that we aren't worthy, that we are not right, that we are wrong. Not just that we do wrong, but we are wrong. And as followers of Jesus, that is a lie, isn't it? Because the true story of God is that he sent Jesus to change that story and transform that story into a story where we don't have to feel shame and where we can be vulnerable and where we can be open and because God does see us and love us and he reaches out to us in the most costly manner ever in Jesus to restore us and bring us back to himself to change our stories for eternity. That is the loving God that we have. A God who doesn't want us to be kept hidden, to be hiding and to be running from him but for us to run into him. Knowing that he's dealt with our shame, he's dealt with our sin, that he is the good and loving God who gave it all for us in Jesus. The serpent wants us and still wants us to doubt God is good, to doubt God's word is true, for us to be broken in our relationships with God and each other and this world.
He still wants that to happen. And he still wants to impact our minds with that, doesn't he? So often we jump back to that. Did God really say? Is God really good? Does God truly love us? Does God want what's best for us? And when we jump out of that and we believe the lie, then we fuel the shame. But we have a better story, don't we? We have the true story. The story of God who has restored us in that, who has brought us back and wants to transform our stories. He wants to renew us and transform us in the true story of Jesus. He helps us and transforms us and changes us and deals with our brokenness and deals with our shame and allows us to be vulnerable and places us as his child. That song that we sang, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to shame because we have been set free in Jesus. Because now the song says, I am a child of God. We've been adopted into his family. We are his now through Jesus. So we don't have to have shame. So we can be vulnerable. So we don't have to believe the lie but we can have the truth. So we don't have to think or doubt that God is good because we know God is good because he's got us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that we are no longer slaves to fear and shame and the lies of the serpent that wants to deceive us, Lord. But now we are children of yours that we've been adopted into your family through Jesus and his death and resurrection. Lord, that truth that God loved us so much and has what is best for us and is good and gracious and generous, Lord. Lord, we pray that we run to him, that we rest in him, that we trust him, that we trust you, that we know your love that we live in your love, Lord. That we no longer are people of shame. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that, Lord. Confirm that to us through your word. Confirm that to us through your people. Confirm that to us, Lord, by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.